0: This episode is supported by IRL, an original podcast from Mozilla, made for people who are into or build AI and people who develop tech policies. Listen to Mozilla IRL wherever you listen to your podcasts.
1: Hi, and welcome to the Expansive Podcast, where we explore the frontiers of personal growth, business innovation, and technology. We believe that growth and progress comes from expanding our minds, exploring new possibilities, and of course, embracing change. My name is Eric Kruger. I'm one half of the Expansive Podcast. And in a twist of events, uh, for maybe the first time ever in the history of the show, I'm not joined by my co-pilot, John Sane. He has been traveling extensively But I've uh, traded him in, I've upgraded him. And today, instead, joining me for the pod (laughs) is Bridget, all the way from Washington. Um, You would have heard us on the pod uh, mention this new, not new podcast, uh, a a new uh, sponsor of the, the Expansive podcast, which is the IRL podcast. And Bridget is the host of that pod. And so it is so great to have you join us here today. Welcome.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me. It is an honor.
1: Yeah, thanks. Listen, so uh, very briefly, if you had to jump on stage to deliver a keynote and we were going to introduce you and tell people about who you are, what is the uh, very short 30 seconds intro to Bridget Todd?
2: Oh, God, 30 seconds. So Bridget Todd is a podcaster, a digital organizer, an activist who cares deeply about the health and safety of our internet.
1: Hmm, sure. Love that. Very succinct. It seems like you've practiced that
2: before. <laughs> I might throw in a little, you know, I might say like, she's a cat lover and a gardener and a reality TV fan. I don't know. I might throw in some some jokes in there too. <laughs>
1: Tell me about the reality TV fan. Which shows do you watch?
2: Oh, I I'm I'm don't make me sound so embarrassing to your listeners, but you know it's like <laughs> the Bravo, Real Housewives. I cannot get enough. Basically, <laughs> if it's trashy and deeply embarrassing, I'm watching it. I'm watching, I'm glued to the screen. Yeah.
1: So to so pretty much all of Netflix at the moment, it seems.
2: Correct. <laughs> That's absolutely correct. <laughs>
1: Um, does selling sunset fall under that category as well?
2: you know it does. I'm fascinated. like it's it is a show that I watch <laughs> almost for like an anthropological experiment. I'm like the women who work for this real estate agent, like their lives are so interesting i i'm I'm deeply, deeply obsessed with them.
1: <laughs> all right. listen, um uh, it, it is so great to have you on the pod with us and and joining us all the way from Washington for it. um. I was doing some research and obviously what brought us together today on this pod is the IRL pod from Mozilla that you host. And it seems to me that you joined the pod in 2022 uh, at sort of in the season six uh, stage of this pod. So how did that collaboration come to be?
2: Yeah. I mean, so that's right. It was 2022. Listen, I have always been a longtime appreciator of Mozilla. Like I... Even back when before it was called Mozilla, I've been appreciating the, the mission of Mozilla. Um, I think that an open internet, a free internet, a safe internet, an inclusive internet is, is like really important. And so I had been a fan for a while. Um, they actually got in touch with me about hosting this podcast. I had been hosting my own podcast since 2020 on iHeartRadio about, um, identity in the internet called There Are No Girls on the Internet. Um, from doing that, Mozilla got in touch with me and really the alignment could not have been deeper. You know, um, a funny story is that even like years ago, maybe this was like five, no, 10 years ago, I applied for a job at Mozilla that I was deeply unqualified for. And it was a, a Hail Mary. And of course, <laughs> of course I did not even get an interview, which was the right <laughs> choice. Cause I didn't even know that the, 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 Job. I was I was like, don't want to think about this, but I love Mozilla. Um, and so really just the chance to make content that is accessible, that is urgent, that is inclusive about the state of our internet and highlighting some of the voices and stories of folks who are fighting to keep it safe, keep it open, keep it inclusive was just really important to me. So um, that's a collaboration that I I've been really thrilled to work on. Like mm. I e- even if I wasn't the host of IRL, I would be a listener of IRL.
1: Um, I love it. And I, I want to come back to iArt Radio and There Are No Girls on the Internet as well. Uh, but before we do that, how would you describe IRL just in your own words? What is the pod about?
2: The IRL podcast is all about exploring. Um the internet and technology like AI, who has the power in those domains, um, ethics in those domains, and really spotlighting some of the voices and stories of people who you might not have heard of, who are really doing the work of making technology in the internet safer, better, more inclusive, and making sure that it works for the most amount of people.
1: Mm. You know, and on this pod, we talk a lot about AI, obviously, because the work that John and I do is all about how do we help leaders and teams and organizations prepare for change. And of course, like the hottest topic at the moment is AI. Everyone wants to know how do we stay relevant in this world where AI just kind of takes over everything. And then you sometimes don't realize that there are so many people in the background trying to do work, trying to course correct where we might be heading with this kind of technology.
2: Yeah, I would even take it back further. And maybe this is something that you and your listeners are completely familiar with. But I only really internalized and learned this from doing the IRL podcast is AI is people. You know, it's pe- people are the ones who are training it. People are the ones who are building it all of it is people i think it is so mm. it was very easy for me to think of ai as you know computer brains and really like artificial intelligence like it's it's self aware it's like doing all this stuff on its own but from doing the podcast and doing the interviews of people who work on AI, ai people who work on ai people who build ai i'm realizing how much of it is just people and so the same way that people have blind spots and foibles and challenges ai is simply going to reflect the people who build it and make it and shape it. And so that really helped me understand what we're dealing with. It's so easy to personify this technology in a way where, that gets us further away from that reality that at its core, we're talking about people.
1: You know, and um, in some ways, it just it sort of amplifies the biases that already exist. And um, I know I've seen, for example, on MidJourney, you know, if you type in CEO, like, very typically what you'd get back is some white older dude, and they all kind of look the same. Um, and then they've they've gone through all these different occupations, and it's very, like, stereotyped to sex and to race. Uh, so are those the kind of things that, that you guys end up talking about on the pod a lot?
2: Some of that, right? Like, I have definitely experienced that where I uh, – like – I did um, AI generated headshots, and I was like, "Wow!" A-, for whatever reason, the p- the person who trained and built this AI thinks that the version of myself that I want to see reflected back is like much hotter than I am. <laughs> like, like, I don't know what what it's trying to tell me. Um, but yeah, so and, and I think that. It is really critical that we have those conversations because on the one hand, we're talking about things that feel kind of low level, like my image was generated in a way that doesn't feel right. But that can go all the way up to technology misidentifying people, right? Like we've done stories about how, you know, tools that are meant to be used to figure out if a student is is plagiarizing on a paper, how tools like that often fail non-native speakers of English, right? And so like, There are all these ways that inequality and bias is baked into our technology, and I think we Mm. have to get out of this mindset that says that it's not okay to criticize that and to critique that and to be honest about that, right? Like, that's the only way that we're ever going to get to a place where, you know, we're actually having honest, open conversations about the way that AI fails people. People who are often traditionally marginalized and being failed by technology already, and so I, I come at this work from the, a place of optimism. I think that AI can be used for good, can be used for change. We've we've talked to some people who are using AI to do really, really interesting, creative stuff. But I think that in order to get there, we also have the have to have the conversation about how AI is failing people mm. right now. It's both about highlighting the promise and the peril of AI.
1: Something I'm wondering as you as you talk through that is what advice would you give people who are interacting with AI tools um, for them to to use it in a, in a safer way or for them to use it in a way that I don't know doesn't further encourage bias or, or things like that because uh, a lot of this is obviously you know happening at the top it's like open AI and Google and all these guys they need to be very careful. And, you know, we've obviously seen lots of lobbying for regulation and things like that, but they need to be careful about the tools that they create and how they deploy that and and how people use it. But that kind of removes power from me because it's all on them to decide how, you know, what they create and what we can do with it. But I'm wondering, for me as the user, like, what, what power do I have to shape how we use these tools?
2: Oof, what a good question. I want to be clear that this is, I, like, I am not an AI expert, so far be it from me to tell people how they should be exploring it. But from doing IRL, one of the things that I came to realize is how much even my early exploration of like playing with AI, using it in my work, how much that have been shaped by big for-profit corporations like your Googles, your Microsofts, etc. And so I would say finding out how many not like non-corporate forces, like smaller organizations, just groups of people who are interested in putting something interesting out into the world using AI are out there. I did not know this. I thought there was only one game in town and that was like your big tech companies. But I would say really do some research about who out there or like what small collectives or communities or organizations out there are coming at it from a different angle that's not just for profit. Because I do think that it's a little, I don't know. I And I, I think it mirrors the way that the internet is going more broadly. It is sad to think that the only way that folks are thinking about this technology is using it to make money and build power, right? Like, But there are people who are doing things on a different model. And I think that exploring some of that, I think, could be a good place to start so that it just feels a little different. It doesn't just feel like, oh, I'm just contributing to making Microsoft more money or making some giant mm. tech company more money.
1: Mm. Yeah, and to add on to that, it's just important to educate yourself in this space as well. You know, because we're we already seeing, you know, so many scams, for example, happen at the same time. Um, and people are falling prey to, they're becoming victims of AI. And one way to overcome that is just to not ignore this big shift that is happening to make your way over to podcasts like IRL so that you're informed. So you also know that when you're interacting with these tools, I think what you said is so great, they are a reflection of people that are creating these tools. And those people come with flaws and biases and all these kind of things. And so you could expect that there's going to be a level of that that's built into the tool. And so now you're not that surprised when it happens. And you can go, okay, well, I understand where it's coming from at least. Uh, this isn't just a reflection of, an AI or reflection of reality or whatever it may be.
2: Exactly that. And on my other podcast, There Are No Girls on the Internet, we really start that conversation from like a 101, very accessible place that is like really meant for people who don't consider themselves techies. Because I think one of the biggest challenges to having people understand AI and work with AI and really like have a sense of what's going on and how it might impact them is this attitude that says, you're not smart enough to understand it. You don't know what's going on. Like, Just let the people in the room who are smart figure this out and we'll tell you what you need to know. Absolutely not. I think that this dynamic that says that certain people don't get to be part of the conversation if they don't have a certain background, we need to completely shift that. And so exactly like what you said, I think that we need to be encouraging people to ask questions, feel like they've got some skin in the game of what's going on, and and really stay locked into these conversations because it's going to be key right like i i have been working in some form of technology for a very long time and this was the first time coming home for the thanksgiving holiday this past weekend the first time in all of that time that my family was like what's going on with this ai thing that i'm hearing about and <laughs> i honestly couldn't believe it but i was really happy because i was like yes you should be asking questions you should you shouldn't feel completely locked out or shut out of these conversations mm. that are poised to be so impactful for your own life.
1: Mm. Were the previous Thanksgiving dinner conversations around Bitcoin and NFTs and Trump?
2: Trump, definitely. (laughs) Um, But yeah, this was the first time that we ever like, like I once overheard my mom tell somebody that I fixed computers at the White House, which is like, (laughs) not not any of that is true. It's a very mom answer, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So this was the first time that I was like, oh, they're getting a sense of, you know, the role that technology plays in their life, in my work, and like what they should be thinking about it, you know? (laughs) Uh,
1: Tell me, are you using any sort of AI tools in your day to day? Have you figured out some place for it in the work that you do?
2: This is a great question. I have tried. I've dabbled a little bit. Like, in the podcast, you know, I have to... Probably the hardest part for my own podcast, or the the part that's the most time-consuming, is, like, scripting intros and outros and narrative bits. And I was like, wow, maybe AI can help me do this. AI cannot. It can be useful, (laughs) but, like, I'm still writing. So I've played with it a little bit, but I haven't really found... The thing that is going to like make it really useful. Um, so far mm. it's been like like very low level, like automated things. Um, but not any, anything that involves a, a public facing communication. Nah, not not working for yeah. me. I'm curious, mm. h- how do you all use it? Um, do you, do you use it to make the podcast yourselves?
1: You know, so um, we don't. I think we I use I, I use ChatGPT quite a bit for for research these days just because it has the Bing functionality with it as well now and with the GPT function like where you create your own little GPT that's been pretty cool like I've created my own researcher GPT that uh, does research in a way that I like to deliver my keynotes and my workshops so when I can when I enter a research topic it spits it out for me in that format already and it's just a great it's a very accelerated way of creating the raw materials from which I can then go and do further research yeah um because I definitely don't. I, I still think that there's probably quite a bit of hallucination that's happening from AI, but like just from a, like getting from zero to one point of view, like it's so accelerated. Um, beyond that, I guess like when you look at like Riverside, for example, they have this these clips these days that they cut automatically. I, I guess that's AI powered. Like it's not really a tool that you actively go and use; it's just happening in the background. And I think that's actually going to be a lot of what is going to happen moving forward. Is that AI will be doing lot of the work in the background without mm-hmm. you realizing it. It's just kind of augmenting your daily life uh, without you necessarily di- directly interacting with it.
2: Oh, yeah, now that you mention it, I when I first got started in podcasting, it was before AI was so ubiquitous and I would do interviews and then I would send the audio of that interview to a service that would uh, tra- transcribe it. Now I just now it like Riverside just does that. Like you don't have yeah. to do that. And so mm. it is, it's, I guess it's these steps that you don't even really think of. Working in the, as you said, working in the background, you know, it's it's not like creating the podcast for you, but it's like little tools that help that you might not be thinking about. Yeah, mm. I didn't even think about that.
1: It is actually it it's a challenge because you know, I think for for many business owners as well, they want to get involved in AI. They want to like they they feel the need or the urge because it's the hot topic at the moment. Everyone is like on the AI train. But then once you get to the application of it and you're like, okay, well, how do I take the service that I have and augment that into something new with AI? It becomes quite tricky because like for most people, AI is chat GPT. That is like the, (laughs) in their heads, that's the the service that is AI. Um, So it can be quite tricky to think, well, you know, how do I actually implement it into my daily life in a very active way?
2: Yeah. And I think that I think. I mean, this is just my opinion. I think, partially due to sort of the hype cycle around AI, I think it was easy for creators and entrepreneurs and business owners to think of it as like a parlor trick. So that you know, the things that we were thinking AI could do because of all the hype around it didn't really come to fruition, or like didn't work the way that you thought. And so, I don't know. I almost, I almost think that when I was thinking about how to implement AI in my own work. I was thinking way too big and I wasn't thinking about the small automated behind the scenes stuff that like actually is bearing actually is bearing mm. out you know um mm. yeah like I used to have this fantasy that an AI, like voice chat bot version of myself, would be able to do the podcast one day. And my producer actually was like, "Oh, they have that where you can, you know, tra- they can. It, it'll be your voice doing your podcast in a different language." And I was like, "Wait a minute, I don't actually want that. Like, that's really <laughs> creepy." Um,
1: so, HeyGen is one of the tools that can do that, uh, where they, you know, they record your face and, like, then it's your likeness, and it just it, it speaks in different languages. And my one friend is very much into the AI space. And he told me that they just released an API for it, where you could essentially like have a, a voice call with that avatar. And in real time, that avatar will communicate with you, digesting the, the content that is received, um, running that through whatever framework you might have in the background, and then having that conversation with someone like oh my God. instantaneously.
2: Do you, do you want that? So, like, is that, is that appealing to you?
1: I I don't know. I I I could maybe see a world where you go onto my website and you're like, can Eric talk about X, Y, and Z? And my avatar in real time can talk to you about what I can talk about or not, you know, or topics I cover. So there might be like an interesting sort of augmenting your website kind of thing. But I I wouldn't want it to do sales calls for me or anything like that. That would just be, it'll feel too out of my control.
2: See, I would worry that if there was like an augmented AI generated version of me that knew the things that I knew, I almost think that people would maybe prefer it, and I find that quite threatening. You know, because the that augmented version of you will never be tired or cranky or late or hungover or whatever—like all of the things that go with being a human—is just on time and knows the stuff.
1: It's <laughs> uh, I, I don't know who. I don't know where this goes, but I, I know that we are in for a hell of a ride in the next few years. <laughs>
0: I recently listened to episode two, season seven of IRL podcast, and this one is called The Humans in the Machine. And i got to tell you, it was such an eye-opener because they were interviewing these young adults in Kenya that were actually the people inputting the information required for these large language models and having to deal with some hectic things on the internet And they were showing that these big companies like Meta weren't really compensating these people for this incredibly difficult work. I mean, the psychological turmoil they must be going through must be really, really tough. I mean, it gave me such a new appreciation for what they're going through and also to hold them more accountable as these big organizations make incredible profits without sharing it in a fair way. So search for Mozilla IRL in your podcast player or visit irlpodcast.org. We'll also include a link in the show notes for this pod. And many thanks for IRL for their support. Uh,
1: so for, for everyone listening, please go check out the IRL pod because um, as you can hear, there's a, there are a lot to cover around this. And it's not just about the tools. We also need to think about those shaping and creating the tools. I, I want to shift gears for a little bit. Um, you've been in the podcasting space, it seems like, you know, since 2020.
2: Is that? So I've Actually been in the space since like 2012 before cereal that was like the, the wild right. west okay. but uh that at that time I was I was really behind the scenes I didn't start hosting until a few years later but yeah I've been in the space for a while
1: cereal I mean like I haven't heard that in a long <laughs> time but that was do you like that was kind of what put podcasting on the map. I it think.
2: exactly was. Um I think that like it, for a while in the space people would talk about before serial and after serial because it really yeah, it like legitimized <laughs> it in a way that I think that no other show had.
1: Yeah. Um can you quickly just tell the listeners what Serial was?
2: Oh, Serial was a true crime podcast. Uh I think that one of the earliest true crime podcasts. Mm. A, a, trying to find out whether someone who was incarcerated for a crime that they said they, they did not commit in Maryland was guilty or innocent. I think it was mm. on national public radio, if I'm not mistaken. Don't quote me on that. Let me see. Oh, yes. It was a spinoff of This American Life.
1: Sure. And it was riveting. Uh, and I remember it was unlike anything that I'd heard before. Um, I, I started podcasting around 2015-ish. Um But it always felt to me like podcasting was quite fringe. And then the moment Serial came out, it just became this wildfire. And people were really making an effort to download the app and tune in to listen to Serial. And it was this thing that you waited for, like you actively couldn't wait to listen to the next
2: episode. Absolutely right. Like having been in the space before Serial and then after Serial, the thing that attracted me to podcasting in the first place was exactly what you said, that it felt kind of – like a ragtag group of weirdos who were experimenting with this medium and didn't really know, you know, didn't really know what it was going to be, right? Like the, just a couple guys in the garage, the Mark Marons of the world, like that's the space that it felt like. And that was like what attracted me to it. But after Serial, it really like professionalized it and leveled it up. And, you know, I think it, really made the case that this could be something big. This could be a, a, a new way to tell stories and that these stories can be thoughtful and meaningful and beautiful and beautifully mm. soundscaped and riveting. Like, like I, I just had never heard anything like it. And I I mm. still just remember what it felt like to wait for that next episode to drop and talk about it with my coworkers. Like, it was it was a real shift.
1: Tell me, you know, when, when you listen to the RL pod, um, you guys have that... Um, I guess you call it like an NPR style where it's the the interviews that are like, it's so beautifully laced into the story. So it's not an interview pod uh, for, for the listeners that, that haven't listened to it. It's you telling a story, you crafting a narrative, and then you slot the interviews in as part of the narrative, but it's not one continuous interview. Yeah. Um, I'd love to know how much effort goes into a pod like that, into one episode. Um, and what does your process look like for putting that together?
2: Yeah. So this is where I have to give major, major shout outs to the team that has put this together. Um, the team at Mozilla, shout out to Solana Larson, the team at our uh, production partner, Pacific Content. We have an amazing editorial team um, there who really does a lot of the work of scripting and, and, and building out those stories. And so we will have the most fascinating, deep-dive interviews with these guests. The interviews, when we started, we were like, oh, we're going to do quick 20-minute interviews so that we can easily pare them down. I think every interview was, like, an hour long because the guests are so fascinating. But that means that they're really doing the work of picking out the best bits, the bits that, like, Mm. really shine. And it it always sort of breaks my heart because I'm like, oh, we didn't use this little (laughs) story that she told because we didn't have time. But um, I think ultimately... It's like putting together a puzzle, and the sum is is greater than than its parts, right? So, like, mm. it might be tough to leave out a beautiful story, but in the end, it really, I think, flows so nicely, and you get to hear so many voices. Um, but truthfully, all of that work is done by both the Mozilla team and the Pacific Content team. So, I, I cannot take mm. credit. I wish I could. They are master storyscapers. I'm I am in awe each time I hear the finished product.
1: I've never heard the phrase storiescaper. I love that. I find that the format highly engrossing, and I think it's actually very kind to the listener who is there for, you know, to learn about a specific topic, like, and you are doing the job of curating for them the best insights, but in such a way that it just feels so relatable and just feels like I'm coming on this journey with you, which for me is, you know, that's what I love about that format. I think interviews have a a space obviously, but it also just feels like everyone does interviews. So there's, you know, it, it doesn't, you know, that differentiates it when all you do is interviews on your pod. Um, yeah.
2: And, and that's, yeah. Oh, that, that's kind of by design. I think that when we're talking about technology, I think that there's a a desire to just be like, oh, we're just hearing experts say their expertise, but technology is about people. It's about identity. It's about relationships. And so you really want to think about them as stories that have characters and plots and ups and downs mm. and implications for, for the rest of our lives. And so, yeah, I think that it just, you get to understand the topic in a different way. It's just more inviting that you can really ground it in the fact that these are ultimately, t- a tech story is a story about people and relationships. And I think that the mm. format really highlights that well.
1: Um, tell me a little bit about There Are No Girls on the Internet.
2: Well, There Are No Girls on the Internet is my podcast that I hosted and created on iHeartRadio. It is all about sort of explorations of technology, social media, and the Internet, um, and the intersections of identity, right? Um, So often in tech, I feel like conversations around technology don't really deal with identity, too much. And I think that identity, at least for me, is like a core part of what it means to be online, what it means to be talking about technology. And so I really mm. wanted to create a space that honored that and was, and was steeped in that and didn't try to run away from that or sideline that, but say, no, it's actually fine to have conversations about the internet and how all of our identities and what we bring and what we show up with shapes those conversations. And mm. it's been, I think we've been doing it since 2020. It has been a labor of love and um, It's very accessible, so anybody, even techie or not techie, I think that you will get something out of it. Um, And it's just been really, really fun to to produce and make.
1: Where did the name come from?
2: Oh, so this is a good question. I get asked this a lot. It's kind of an inside joke with myself. Uh, So (laughs) there is a rule, like an informal rule of the internet um, that... There are no girls on the internet. So that has sort of two connotations. One is the, like, obvious literal connotation that if you're ever talking to someone online who says they are a woman, says they're a girl, it's not. It's somebody pretending. The second... Yeah, yeah, so that's, like, pretty literal. (laughs) Um, The second connotation is that, like on the internet our identity doesn't matter right and so if you're a if you're a girl on the internet nobody cares that you're a girl nobody cares about your gender and so because we're all treated the same online well both of those iterations of that phrase i think are not true there are plenty of women there are plenty of people of all genders showing up online and in fact being foundational to what it means to be online right like so much of our mm. internet and technology experience from the very beginning has been shaped by people of all genders and so that's not true. And it's just certainly not true that our identities, who we are, we leave that at the door and we're online. That is also not true. And so um, the name is sort of a, a joke that, like, people say all of these things about girls on the Internet. There are no girls on the Internet. Well, here's a podcast where, like, you'll hear from <laughs> many, many, many girls on the Internet. We're here.
1: <laughs> um, are you familiar with Alex Lieberman? I am. Yeah. So I was reading a post from him this morning and he said that um, if he was going to recommend to anyone to start a podcast uh, in 2024, then his advice would be don't do long form uh, content. Uh, And I think he was saying like, don't go the interview route style, like it's been done. There's plenty of podcasts that are doing it. Um, And he was saying, you know, find your own sort of format that works and make it less than 20 or 30 minutes.
2: Mm. I'm
1: wondering as someone who's been in the space since 2012. If if people are listening to this and they go like I still want to be in this space I feel like I have a voice or I need to get something across What do you think What advice would you give to them going into twenty twenty four knowing that it's a very saturated space It's maybe the most difficult at least in my experience of all the things that I've had to grow in the digital space Podcasting has been the hardest because totally agree There's just There's no virality in it There's no like you know um, discovery mechanism for it, you have to really grind it out to grow your podcast over time. And so I think most podcasts, unfortunately, live in obscurity. And so I'd love to know from you, what you think or how would you approach someone starting a podcast in 2024?
2: This is, I I could talk about this all day. So I agree with you. Podcasting, it is first and foremost, it has to be a labor of love. And so Mm. I, it is, I, I would also say of all the the creative ventures I have taken on, podcasting is the hardest. Podcasting is the one that takes the most kind of internal motivation to stick with it. Um, I have been doing this for a long time. I have had ups. I've had downs. I have had times where I'm looking at my number of downloads and I'm like, wow, why did I even bother? This took me four <laughs> hours. Why did I even bother? But so I would say if you don't love it, and I, I say that like, and I really mean that, if you don't love the, the medium of podcasts, if it's if audio doesn't like do it for you, think about something else, right? Like I mm. have been a long time appreciator of audio. Even before I worked in podcasting professionally, I was like a listener and an appreciator of podcasting. I love podcasting. I, I There is something about hearing somebody tell their story in their own voice that just does it for me, right? And so I don't, that the stories that I'm telling on the podcast, I wouldn't want to do it if they were written. I wouldn't want to do it in in some other medium. It is podcasting. So if that's not the mm-hmm. way that it is for you, I might not start a podcast. However, people talk about how there's so many podcasts it's a saturated market. Nobody ever says that about books, right? There's millions and millions and millions and millions of books out there Nobody is thinking like, oh, well, there's too many books. I don't need to write a book. Podcasting is the same. There's a lot of podcasts Mm. out there, but there's only one you. And so I would say if you're starting a podcast in 2023, 2024, make sure that it is something that is niche and unique to you. That topic that you could talk about all day long, that your friends, their eyes glaze over because you won't shut up about it, that is your topic. Like, really hone in on what it is that you have to say and why it is that you are the one to say it. That's what sets you apart. And yeah, I will say it, it is a labor of love. Like it takes a long mm, time. For sure. It, it's, it you know, I've taught, I've i coached people who want to start podcasts and a lot of them think it's going to be like, oh, I just started. And then next thing you know, I'm the next Lex Friedman. Right. And it's like, no, that's not yeah. how it works. Like <laughs> probably not. And you have to be okay with that. Like I, nobody starts a podcast because they want to make a million dollars. Don't I wish. Nobody starts a podcast because mm. they want to be like the next famous person doesn't work that way but if if you're fine with those two things that's probably that's probably not going to be what your podcasting journey looks like do it um but i would also agree i would think that really be clear on format um when i first started there are no girls on the internet each episode was almost an hour long and when i tell you that like i, I it would be painstakingly scripted each each time that you heard a sentence I would have labored over that one sentence for an hour, wow. right? Like putting together an episode, one episode would take hours and hours and hours of time. Well, it turns out that's not sustainable, right? And so <laughs> I, I like this advice of like having it be in the 30 minute arena, 30 to 40 minutes, not too long, um, just to keep you in it. Because if you're, mm-hmm. if you wanna be, Having longevity, make sure that you build that into whatever format you're you're working with. Like, don't be like me and like start from the most labor intensive format possible and expect that to go on for years and years. Mm.
1: That's such great advice. You know, when um, so so recently our pod was nominated for an, uh, an award in the Korean entrepreneurship category in for for Africa and
2: congratulations well we won it so i'll just (laughs) (laughs) congratulations
1: yeah
2: don't be humble
1: so we were talking you know in in uh, the post interviews about this exact thing like how like getting started in the process and john was actually saying you know first and foremost you have to love it exactly because you're going to look at your downloads and it's going to be crickets and that you're going to feel horrible and you're going to do that for many, many episodes, and you're not going to see any traction really. And you're going to have to keep going. And so I think the combination of what you spoke about where you find something that you love, but you also find a a medium that can help you to stay consistent as you become better at the game. I think that's that's a winning combination because ultimately the way that you're going to get to grow your audience is by becoming better at the thing that you do. And, and expect to be terrible when you start because we all are terrible when we start. But then you grow, you know, and then you become Bridget Todd that hosts incredible big <laughs> podcasts.
2: Yeah, or award-winning, <laughs> expansive podcasts. Like, yeah, I, th- I think like give yourself the space and the grace to be bad at it. You know, you have to be bad at something before you're good at something. I go back and listen to my old podcast episodes and I'm Ooh. it's difficult to yeah. listen to if that might be the case for you too. Um oh another tip I would give is listen to podcasts even if they're like in your niche or your field or not. I try to listen to a new podcast at least once a week that I that I have never heard of and people are doing very interesting things out there that might give you mm. ideas that might spark something or you listen and you're like, "Well, that's an example of what I don't want to do." But be a consumer of podcaster of oh, be a consumer of podcasts. Like really appreciate the medium, read podcast trades, like know, know what the conversations are happening in the space. I think that'll also make you feel more connected and like better at being a podcaster.
1: That's so good. Um, and I'm definitely going to do that actually, because I I realized that when I, when I listen to podcasts, um, I'm mainly kind of selfishly just listening for the content, but I've actually stopped listening to it for the art, for the, the different ways people go about presenting this. So Actually, I need to get better at that. So thank you for that. That's a good prompt for me as well. Um, I want to, just as we wrap up, just step outside of podcasting for a moment. So we know uh, of of Bridget as the podcaster, doing this since 2012, hosting incredible uh, conversations online. What do you do outside of podcasting?
2: Ooh, what a good question. Um, I love being outside. You know, I think part of having a robust relationship with technology and social media is time away from it. Um, so I, I love hiking. I love camping. I love being outside. Um, I love movies. I'm a big film person. Uh, my my I, I love documentary. But really any movie, if, you, if anybody listening is like, tweet at me about a movie you just <laughs> saw and I will definitely want to talk about it. Um, yeah, I, I like to cook my, my version of a great evening is a glass of wine, making dinner and listen to listening to podcasts. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, is is it, yeah, is it a cop out to say podcasts (laughs) when I'm a podcaster?
1: (laughs) I think, you know, the people who achieve a lot are the ones obsessed with their craft and you clearly are. So, so that's great. (laughs) Full, Full points for that. Um is your is so your main job though, is that the the podcasting, everything that you do in the podcasting space? or is there anything else that you do outside of that from a work point of view? Yeah.
2: so up until this summer, I had a full-time job at a gender justice organization called Ultraviolet here in the United States. And um I was really managing a lot of the work around platform accountability and like building a safer, better internet. But since summer, I am a full-time podcaster. I podcast full-time. I um, talk pod full-time. That's so awesome.
1: What does it mean for you to live an expansive life?
2: This is such a beautiful question. Living an expansive life for me is a life that's really in flow, right? Like I... I'm somebody who has a lot of interests, a lot of passions. I have a full life, quite a full life, and I think an expansive life is one where I get to explore all of that, go down all of the tangents that life has to offer me, and just see what's there. You know, I think so often we get caught up in what we should be doing or what's going to be lucrative or what our parents might want us to do, but my expansive life is a life without borders that I can really explore the fullness that life has to offer. and. See where it takes me.
1: Mm, love that. It's about expanding into the things that we care about, and I think when, when we phrase it like that, you you are a great example of that. Um, being able to do what you truly deeply love and obsess about in a full time manner, and to live and breathe that craft, and you know, it, it's happened quite organically, from what I can tell. That really is like embracing the the expansive philosophy. So well done. It's, it's amazing to Thank always you. Uh, speak to people who are living it. Uh, last question that I have for you is, what would you want out of 2024? What are you looking forward to in the year?
2: I'm looking forward to, I'll, I'll bring it back to the IRL podcast. I'm looking forward to more people feeling really engaged and empowered in conversations about technology and the internet. I'm looking forward to You know, I think even in the last year, we've seen people like my parents, for instance, go from not really caring about technology to asking people about AI and being curious about AI and wondering Mm. what this technology is. So I'm looking forward to more of that, more and more people feeling empowered and engaged and checked in around conversations about technology and the Internet and AI understanding why it is the health and safety and well-being of our internet is really important and how they fit into all of that. So I'm looking mm. forward to the sort of collective change that we can all bring when that is the case.
1: That's amazing. Uh, do you do like a word for the year?
2: No, but I should. Do you?
1: Mm. Yeah, we always like, it's it's one of the, uh, the podcasts we always start the year with is what is your word for the year? And it's just such a great way to theme your year and to set intention for the year, so,
2: oh my God, I, I won't push that. you on that
1: now, but I, but I'd love to hear from you um, <laughs> into twenty twenty four. What your word for the year is?
2: I'll give it some thought. What's yours? Do you have one yet?
1: I don't. My word for twenty twenty three was brilliant. I am um, thinking it should have been humbled because that's what <laughs> it feels like this year has, da- has done to me.
2: Brilliantly humbled. But,
1: <laughs> brilliantly humbled. <laughs> but I am sitting with it already. I, I haven't. I always just give it space and give it some time to come to me. And at the moment, nothing clear has popped up yet. It's been such a pleasure to have you on and to have a chat with you. Uh, well done for the incredible work that you are doing uh, with with both the podcasts, um, but also just you know being an example of uh, someone who has found the thing that, that sets them on fire, that they love doing, and that has gone full tilt into doing that. So well done for that. And thank you for coming on the pod, uh, taking the time, Uh, to share your insights and your learnings with us. And as always, um, to everyone listening, please make sure to go check out the IRL pod uh, and also go check out um, There Are No Girls on the Internet. Um, Any sort of closing remarks from you?
2: No, this has been great. Thanks so much for having me. Um, and, And you've really built and curated such a lovely space. So thanks for what you all are doing too.
1: Thank you. Thank you.